everybody, welcome once again to Starship Podcast Warlock. My name is Drew. My name is Jeff. And we are halfway through Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the TV series from the early 80s. Um, and it's, uh, it's really interesting to revisit this because, as I think we were discussing in a previous episode, like I don't think I've seen this in many, many years. Probably, certainly at least a decade, I'm guessing. Um, so it's, it's pretty wild to be checking it out again. Um, and, uh, I, I had a topic that I wanted us to talk about that, uh, is kind of a pet theory of mine. And Jeff, I've given you some warning that this is coming, but basically, uh, this is a terrible name for it. I really need to find another one, but I call it the Bender Theory, uh, named after Bender and Futurama. And one of the many reasons it's terrible is that I, I haven't really watched enough of Futurama to know if Bender is even a good example of a Bender. Oh, well, I can um, answer that because I have watched that <laughs> show a million times. Yeah, well, maybe you maybe you should answer it over the course of this, but I'll explain what I mean by it. Maybe we'll come up with a better name for it by uh, the end of this conversation. So uh, the the theory I have is that there's there's a type of character usually in comedies uh sitcoms or or similar who does the things that you're not supposed to do he says the things you're not supposed to say he wants the things you're not supposed to want i keep saying he it could be she but often it's a he um so basically it's he's kind of an unrepentant anti-hero and i think the unrepentant part is important as i'm as i think we'll talk about uh so at least most of the time you know he's kind of borderline sociopathic and also doesn't care uh if he's conscious of it so um these qualities i think are interesting because these characters often kind of exert a real gravitational pull on the show that they're in such that's you know for at least some of the time they're kind of the main engine that's driving the plot uh because the uh terrible things that they want to do get them into situations that otherwise the characters would probably not find themselves in because they would be doing what they're supposed to do from a societal point of view. Um, so I'm going to give a few examples. Uh, part of the reason I thought this was relevant is that uh, I realized last week that Zaphod is a bender. Um, and he's a bender because <laughs> he doesn't care about basically uh, cock-blocking Arthur. Uh, he's perfectly content to steal a spaceship if it's what he feels like doing. Um, he, he's not particularly bothered by, you know, uh, about rescuing Arthur and Ford, or at least he appears not to care. Like, it's not something that's really important to him. It's just something that's happened and is kind of a nuisance. Um, and the list, I think, goes on. Like, he's somebody who is sort of unfettered id um, and does not really seem to have any scruples uh, the things he doesn't do, he doesn't do because he doesn't want to do them. Um, so I feel like Zaphod kind of fits this archetype pretty well. And just a few other examples uh, from the shows we've watched. Uh, in The Young Ones, it's either Rick or Vivian or maybe both of them. Uh, neither of them really appears to have much of a conscience. At least not one that applies to the real world situations that they find themselves in. Uh, it's funny, the, the <laughs> difference between the two of them, I suppose, being the fact that, you know, in, uh, to the extent that the audience sometimes identifies with uh, with Bender or, or roots for Bender, you can picture people rooting for Vivian, but it's hard to pe picture people rooting for Rick, or maybe feeling mm -hmm. sorry for him, I suppose, but that, it's an interesting split. That is true. I, I think that one of the things that makes Rick a candidate for this is that he... Uh, 
he's more often kind of the the main thing driving everything vivian's a little more reactive most of the time uh Mm -hmm. except in situations like maybe cash you know um so there's those uh in blackadder i i think it's probably blackadder um (laughs) because i'm trying to think he he seems to very rarely have a conscience about much of anything um except maybe not even in the fourth series um he he definitely i mean that is the whole concept of the show basically he's a you know kind of a a ne'er-do-well anti-hero throughout most of it uh and he's he's willing to kind of do whatever he wants to uh to get ahead um it doesn't really seem to have any uh, anything that he draws the line at for the most part um so yeah and then the other one that uh, one of the original characters that made me think of that, think about this is Cartman from South Park, um, who perhaps more than any of the other characters, at least in the, the time that I was watching it, uh, will basically just do whatever he feels like doing. Um, and, and he's basically a little asshole pretty much all of the time. But we kind of enjoy it. And I have theories about why we enjoy it, too. Uh, one of them being that even if we don't necessarily want to say the things that he says, we sort of envy that unselfconscious fearlessness of saying whatever comes into your head, doing whatever comes into your head without any kind of um, hesitance or uh, second guessing yourself. Um, that That's kind of an attractive trait in a character, even if that character is basically a sociopath. So that's my long winded theory. Um, again, I sort of feel like Bender fits that example, but what are your thoughts there? Do you, do you think he's like these other characters or unlike them in some ways? I, I do. I mean, it's interesting that, you know, Blackadder is, uh, ostensibly the star of a series, go figure it being called Blackadder and all mm-hmm. that. Um, uh, Young Ones being more of an ensemble, um, Hitchhikers being, I suppose, more of an ensemble. Um, and, uh, and I, I'm in that respect, uh, I, I don't know if Zaphod necessarily deforms the narrative as much as Bender can when when Bender's doing something, or some of the times Bender will be a a you know a B plot that is is driving on its own. Um, but uh, but it certainly does happen. I mean, it's it's interesting if you wanted to compare with. I was thinking about other series, um, really it, in one medium or another. Um, you know, uh, where do you put, for example? Um, uh, I, I mean, this is maybe not a good parallel, but Rocket Raccoon. Oh, from Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, um, I mean he's 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 still transgressive in his own uh, in his own way, certainly, and and amoral uh, for the most part. He definitely um, has that flavor about him. Um, you know, it, I mean, certainly since you brought up Cartman in animation, I mean, one could certainly think of you know of the uh, um, you know. Bart or or um, Stewie. Yeah, Stewie I mean, definitely is is up there. Um, yeah, I mean, rarely it's funny fettered when, by any kind of conscience. When when we clutched our pearls at at Bart back in the <laughs> late eighties, early nineties, and, right. and you know, it's funny re- thinking how how transgressive that was and how quickly tame <laughs> that was within a within a decade. I mean, uh, oh I was writing God. down for something else, you know. Um, uh, talk about somebody else that that speaks his his own mind. I suppose the whole family does in his own way. Um, 
it, if you want to take a, a 70s uh, comparison and a, a late 80s, early 90s comparison, uh, Archie Bunker on one hand yep. and Al Bundy. Yep, yep. When you started saying that, I thought, oh, he's going to mention Married with Children. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Same initials too, I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> it is a family of, of benders for sure. Um, let's see. That also made me think of another one. Now I'm trying to remember what it was. Uh, it'll come back to uh, me. We'll keep I talking. Mean, I mean, I... I also put, um, it's interesting, in a very different way, um, a different aspect of this, Sheldon, in the respect mm-hmm. that, I mean, mm-hmm. it's interesting because, you know, he, he I, I wouldn't say that he doesn't have a conscience or anything like that. It's something that they actually, I think, gave him an arc through a long period of the series. And, and um, I, I suspect it's bits where if you were watching it, um, you know, over a period of years, you see less of a development than if you were if you were to binge watch it, simply because of the fact that for a while they really kind of held the character um, back. And I, I think it wasn't that they weren't going to make him progress; they didn't want to suddenly jump to the end that quickly. But I mean, again, it's somebody that uh, it, it's funny. I, I jotted down a couple of things, and I had Sheldon and Abed right next to them um, in both in that sort of way that they're both deeply focused and and conforming the narrative around them, uh, although Abed feels much more innocent, uh, certainly compared to uh, Bender. But uh, um, yeah, I will say I, you brought up Abed before, and I think that yeah. um, my recollection, and you've seen it more recently than I have, so contradict me if I'm wrong, but I feel like Abed, um, when it certainly when it's pointed out what he's doing, is not unrepentant. Like I feel like he, if he realizes he's being kind of a dick, he will uh, redress that or or at least stop what he's doing. Um, whereas if you pointed that out to Cartman, he just wouldn't care. True. Um, I mean, although so, it's it's interesting for I mean early Abbott episodes, it's it's almost like you know he's not aware that he's doing or this is mm-hmm. this is bad or what have you, and they point it out and okay, but you know th- there are points where he crosses the line uh, where he he goes a bit too far and kind of it's it's because he wants to sort of think you realize how much of a dick he really could be if he if he wanted to, and and sometimes it always feels like to me where um, that's the opposite or that's the mirror of, uh, of Sheldon who sometimes is a dick and, and doesn't care and has to be talked down mm-hmm. uh, for, for at least the uh, beginning of the series. But I mean, um, on, on that topic, I was going to mention um, that in that same show, Jeff is kind of a half bender the way Abed is a half bender. So yes, Jeff, absolutely. Jeff develops, but like initially he is uh, completely Machiavellian. Um, or almost completely Machiavellian about a lot of things. Uh, that is yeah. his go-to mode, put it that way. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. And, well, I, I mean, it's it's interesting that. Um, well, I, I guess they're both they're both well, they're, they're an interesting contrast because considering Jeff is probably the the king of all liars and very good at it uh, when when he needs to be, and Abed is kind of the truth teller. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, and and devastatingly so. Um, uh, but and anyways, I guess getting back to the the Bender archetype. Um, yeah, uh, let's see. Let's think of a few more shows and see if there's something there. Um, I know I had another one in mind, and it, it, I thought um, of it. I think when you brought up Bart, um, I, I I had one other one in mind. If we if we do this, I don't know if you'd be interested in this. But going back to uh, to British comedy, even though uh, I think I've probably seen this more than you have. Um, 
well, all right, th this fits the character of somebody not saying it because he can get away with it, saying it because he simply can't stop blurting things out, whether he <laughs> wants to or not. Um, uh, the character of Jeff in Coupling um, that uh, um, says the most hideous, horrible things because it's literally popped into his head and, and he knows he has no way to stop his mouth from saying whatever he says. Uh, it's, it's a point of horror for him as much as anything else. So he is, in that regard, very repentant. So I, I actually, I take that back. That's, that's not very benderish at all. Um, yeah, I, you would that. know better than I would because I, I've seen yeah. very little of that, as you know. Um, <laughs> Patsy and Adina are benders now that I think about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Massive, um, massive. Uh, oh, God. Yeah. Yes. Um, so that's another one. I think this. I think this is actually maybe more frequent in British comedy for some reason. Uh, that that kind of like obnoxious lead is is maybe more common than it is in American sitcoms. I'm not sure. Uh, Basil Faulty to some degree is is this kind of character. Um, maybe slightly less so. He's got that super ego thing going on, but uh, where a little bit put... of the same thing. Where would you put uh, Ricky Gervais in the British version of The Office? Um, I definitely see where you're coming from. I want to say that actually, I can't even remember the character's name now, but it's the equivalent of Dwight. Dave, David Brent, right? Uh, no, well, no. I'm, I'm thinking of the, uh, the kind of like nerdy co-worker oh, uh, yeah. in the um, British version of The Office, and, and probably wait, the, Dwight the Steve, as well. The Stephen Merchant character or the... Uh... No, or, sorry, I no, forget. It plays him. It shows you just how long it's been since I've watched the British version of The Office. Uh, all I can picture is, uh, um, it, yeah, is the American version, which I, I'm kind of shocked. But um, go fig. But yeah, David Brent may be verging on that. I, I I think the thing that maybe removes him a little bit is that he is like immediately we're supposed to feel some contempt for him from every weird thing that he does. And also, I think he thinks he's doing the right thing most of the time. Whereas, again, someone like Bender or Cartman know that they're being dicks, but they just don't care. Like, they're I'll, like, I'll, yeah, forget, I, I don't like humans, so I'll do whatever I want. I'll give you one, um, particularly in I, I don't like humans type of thing. <laughs> How do you feel about um, Sean in The Good Place? <laughs> uh, I mean, he's, explicitly he's, a demon. Yeah, I mean he's Sorry, actually spoilers. an antagonist in that case, but uh. um, yeah, I feel like it's probably got to be a regular. Yeah, um, and not that he's not a regular, but he appears at specific times for specific reasons. Like if there were right. one of the main cast that were like that, it would be another story. But uh, I yeah. do adore that character, of course, as I know does Mark Evan Jackson. Um, yeah, so I I feel like all these characters do have something in common. And yeah, I, I think what we're discovering here is that there is a, a bit of a spectrum of them. Um, oh, um, yeah. Uh, uh, Cordelia in Buffy. She was, she was made to be the character that basically just, uh, um, uh, I, I mean, it was made for that purpose, essentially. Mm -hmm. uh, I can see is, that, but, yeah. You bring up Buffy makes me think of an even better example in that show, which is Spike. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What else is there that we could kind of... Uh, 
I still... Oh, I thought of Alf a few minutes ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> ah! I killed me. <laughs> I mean... He's trying to do the laugh. Again, I haven't really seen enough of it, but I, I, I think it takes him a long time to uh, not be self-centered in any given situation. Um, not a long time in the show, but even a long time sometimes in the episodes to kind of realize what he's doing, but... Uh, Oh, I can't wait until uh, Marina listens to this episode. <laughs> I don't know if she will. Uh, she might not have gotten this far, but um, mm. let's see. Uh, I was going to say Cece and the Nanny, because now I'm thinking of shows that she likes that we've watched. Yeah, um, I, I watched very little of that show. Sophia is a little bit of one on the Golden Girls. I was about to bring that up. There um, is a little I mean, bit there, yeah. But she's yeah, not. I mean, she's not amoral. That's the thing. Like she's she's just uh, unapologetically direct. I suppose. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd thought of that. I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, but yeah, I, I do think all these characters. I mean, even the ones that we're saying, eh, not quite. They they do have some element of that kind of vicarious, unselfconscious uh, impulsiveness. Uh, that I think makes these characters attractive. And I think that's why Zaphod is fun, because he just doesn't care. <laughs> He'll do whatever he's, he wants. Like it's Hey, he, he's just this guy, you know? Exactly. Um, which I think they, they may have missed a little bit in trying to make him too much like George W. Bush in the movie. Um, yeah. They, they kind of missed that. Like, he should be obnoxious, but fun. And they sort of missed the fun part and said, oh, you should completely hate this guy, which is not really, it's not really on. Yeah, no no offense to W fans, but W is not exactly a um, hep cat, shall we say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely there is uh, at least a, a significant segment of the audience that uh, will look at that character and not find them to be uh, an attractive role model. Yeah, um, I, I think I you, don't know that Zaphod ever is, but <laughs> I, I think you nailed why that didn't work very, very easily. Even though, I mean, you know, uh, I, I'll give Sam Rockwell credit for for trying, uh, but uh, yeah, just not the right take. I have to agree. I mean, he absolutely could have played Zaphod the way that Zaphod needs to be played. I think just oh, the God, choices yeah. that were made there were, uh, yep, the, the kind of just missed what Zaphod, yeah. what makes Zaphod work. Um. Here, here's a or something that uh, dawned on me. Um, where do you put, like, say, a, a Captain Jack Sparrow on mm. the continuum? Yeah, I mean, I think he's definitely in there somewhere. Uh, someone who would be a villain if he weren't that charming. <laughs> <laughs> um, arguably is charming. Um, like, Draco Malfoy would not be a bender. No. Um but I do think that um, Fred and George. <laughs> what's that? Fred and George Weasley. <laughs> oh, maybe. But I was thinking of something else. What was the show we were just talking about? I'm losing my mind. I really am. Um. Uh, let's see. After Abfab, we'll rewind this and listen to this <laughs> on our own time. I think. Uh, right before I brought up Harry Potter, you said, uh, "Oh, Captain Jack Sparrow." That's who it was. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think maybe what I was going to say is that I think that being charming is also part of this. I mean, not that Cartman is charming as such, but there's something endearing about the little obnoxious twit, you know? 
Well, uh, I'm sure I there's, think that there's has a, to be the case. There's a little bit deep down that, that you know, some some mysterious part of ourselves that that I think may want to do bits and part of it. Not necessarily Cartman, you know, um, some of the more frightening aspects of of his character <laughs> per se. Um, yeah. You know, or even Bender going and, and looting, or you know, if we're going to take this to his to the logical extremes, I mean, uh, you know. Um, Rick Sanchez is not a role model. I'm just saying. Um, yeah, I mean, actually, that's a really good example. Uh, even from just what I've seen, he's he's absolutely a bender, from what I can tell. Um, and I remember who I was going to mention before, uh, which was Missy on Doctor Who. Ah, yes, good call. Uh, you know, once again, this sort of attractive villain character. But I mean, I think that maybe probably more so than any of the other masters. She also has that kind of like, God, it would be really fun to be her quality. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's, uh, she's, you know, agent of chaos on her own side, sort of, uh, sort of thing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, given, is bananas. <laughs> I mean, given that Bender has, uh, uh, another colloquial meaning that, uh, uh, could be interpreted as homophobic using it like this. Uh, it is such a good name that I, I really, I don't know, I hope I can come up with a better one, but uh, I, I think that archetype is so fascinating. You could call it the bite my shiny metal archetype. <laughs> it's a little long, but you know, eh. it's not bad. Well, uh, that, that's what, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> let's get into watching. Yes, please. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe we should just call them Zaphods. This guy's a Zaphod. You know? (laughs) Doesn't roll Uh, off the tongue the same way, but maybe that is the right answer here. I'm I'm good with that. All right. Well, let's let's watch uh, our favorite Zaphod named Zaphod uh, in episode four of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, As always, there will be a slight musical break and we'll be right back to watch this episode with you. All right, it's time to watch Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, episode four. Um, as you know, uh, we all have queued up our copies of the episode we're watching on Hulu. Um, so if you're looking for it, that's a great place to look for it. I actually did find my DVD, so I have that as a backup in case we need it. But He said I'm queued. <laughs> streaming is very convenient. Uh, so I'm looking at the BBC logo. Jeff, what are you looking at? Um, I'm looking at a blank screen. Let me see if um, I can get a blank I, screen. Yeah, I don't. I don't have the BBC logo on this. Um, oh, on Hulu? Or, or rather, really? Well, I think I played that because I, oh. I played it and then let it run a few seconds and rewound back to zero. And so for zero, that's after the BBC logo. Oh, it's not yeah, like you're it. right. You're right. Okay, so I've I've gone back to zero, and you're at zero. Oh, come on, pause. Uh, everything's under control, folks. Don't worry. Okay. We have normality. (laughs) Anything you can't cope with is therefore your own problem. So. Crap. I'm going to say three, two, one, play. When I say play, Jeff and I are going to hit play at the same time. And you should do that too. And we'll all watch this together. Here we go. Three, two, one, play. 
That doesn't look like the voice of Peter Jones. <laughs> Strange. Notice no rings. Got that, oh, yeah. George Lucas? it just me or do the heads kind of look like it should be a queen video oh a little bit yeah imagine a two-headed freddie mercury huh sound amazing <laughs> could sing harmony with himself you shall not pass <laughs> although he actually looks like one of the scientists in the uh aborted tv version of shada I was just thinking that. How funny. <laughs> it's a good expression. Don't talk to me about mice. <laughs> Down my left side. <laughs> Lucky bastard. <laughs> I've been in this confession dial. Oh, jeez. Oh, pandimensional. Oh, I'm disappointed now. <laughs> yeah, I identify as pandimensional. You're converting him into a Cyberman? <laughs> oh, I love this chair. Looks like something that H.R. Giger would have designed. Yeah. 
<laughs> Have you thought of being in an early 60s sitcom? <laughs> that looks like part of the Millennium Falcon. This is a bit. Why? Except since they're pan-dimensional, down means about five different things. Mm-hmm. Maximilian from the black hole. Ha! Huh. Unlimited rice pudding. I see what you did there. <laughs> Wait, why aren't they mice? These are mice projected as people. Oh. No, it's not. I think you mean time and relative dimension. Oh, never mind. Pay no attention to that man behind... Oh, never mind. Hear that, Google? Well, you can lead a Maggie donkey to water, but... <laughs> You know, it's too bad. I would have loved to hear Christopher Lee intone this. Oh, yeah. I feel like Deep Thought probably has like about 128K of memory. <laughs> that ought to be enough. I don't know, that'd be <laughs> 640K. No one would ever need more than that.
I do love the buildup and fanfare of music in the uh, in the original radio series at this point. Yeah. Another weird commercial break. Yeah, that was weird. Both their names sound a bit rude, don't they? So did Slaughter Bartfast. <laughs> So the one on the left looks like Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> or really bad 1970s Doctor Strange. This is so relevant. Although I do like the voice effects very much. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty consistent with the radio version, too. Yeah, 128K, no more than that. Mm-hmm. Well, there's your space-time complexity trade-off right there. Yeah. <laughs> so, NP complete? Probably. God, I love his voice. I have to say, the whole deep thought sequence is probably one of my favorite sets of dialogues in the, uh, in the whole infinitude of this show. It is pretty great. 
we needed a commercial break. Well, n not in the UK. <laughs> uh, I didn't remember okay. that. I like that little addition. I don't know why that's so funny. Ah, fast forward then. Magic. Hey, what does he do if somebody else comes and asks? He's not going to be able to show them the first part of it anymore. Oh, well. It's a good thing we don't have their fashion sense from seven and a half million years ago. We're much <laughs> better now. I mean, those are not bad. Kind of retro ancient. Space grease. Yeah. Space grease lightning. The pot. <laughs> yes, what is the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow? <laughs> I'm ashamed. I'm sad we don't get to learn their names. Yeah. <laughs> I love the pause. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I think we needed a little more of a pause there. Well, then how did you know how to find the answer if you don't <laughs> no. know the question? I mean, in clearly seven and a half million years ago, you knew that you weren't <laughs> going to be able to answer this. Yeah. <laughs> well, he certainly bought himself a lot of time.
All right, like now we're little, getting the fanfare. It's like a little mini sketch in the middle of this show. I mean, you can see that whole bit being in Python. Oh, yeah. I've been thinking about that. Thinking about the World Cup philosopher match and things like that. I mean, mm -hmm. it's it's right up Python's uh, alley. And it will have spiffy graphics. <laughs> That's also very Pythonic. It is. I love that choice of word. I know. Candyman down there. And we have Legopolis again. <laughs> <laughs> it's the leisure hive. This actually reminds me of like an 80s Atari commercial. Oh, yeah.
Looks kind of like the Oogie Boogie Man. <laughs> Belgium, man. <laughs> this is a game called Tax Scan. Real game by Sega. What? Really? Well, except for when they separate, but there, there is, yeah, look it up. There's a vector game called Tax Scan. Amazing. From early 80s. <laughs> that makes me think of Men in Black. Moving in very <laughs> slow motion. That's that interdimensional thing. It's tough to do contract business, you know? <laughs> what the heck was that?
Uh, so is Trillions, I might want to point out. Uh, she left sooner, right? Well, they said last generation. She's technically the last generation, but oh, okay. point taken. Yep, a Zaphod. <laughs> Look at that eye patch. Millie Way. <laughs> Scooby Doo. left out part of the conversation with the mice and I suspect it's because it's a lot more grating I think to listen to oh um, yeah live speaking of Freddie Mercury I love when British actors do American accents. Of the fact this whole segment was devised as their little parody of Starsky and Hutch where you have cops that are Cops that are sensitive. <laughs> that was an interesting look. This is very relevant, too.
Oop, sorry about the BBC budget. <laughs> Some of this is very Tom Baker Doctor Who to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or else pizza is going to send out for you. <laughs> When constabulary duties to be done, to be done. The policeman's lot is not a happy one. Sounds like a version of the Star Spangled Banner. <laughs> Link to next sketch. Voice of Deep Thought, Valentine Dial. If you can cast Valentine Dial, you do. Well, since we don't get the total perspective vortex in this version, at oh, least we such have a shame. Uh, him doing this. It's one of my favorite bits. That is the end of episode four. We will be right back after this musical interlude. All right, Jeff, what did you think of episode four of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? For an episode that kind of has a lot of exposition, um, uh, it's uh, probably, I think, the most enjoyable episode so far. Um, I, I think I enjoyed that as much as the opening segments of, of part one. I, I mean, uh, like I said, the, the entire deep thought um, 
sequence, I, I still find hysterical as, as much as, but both on a surface level and as just um, general uh, general knocks on philosophy and, and what have <laughs> you. Um, maybe it just makes me feel more uh, more uh, uh, smart than I actually am. Like I don't know. What does Chidi think about this? Uh, but um, <laughs> but uh, I enjoyed that, and I, I think it um, it keeps up even after that, and. Um, you know, I, I adore Richard Vernon um, and every moment that he's on screen. The, the mice stuff might have dragged a little bit. They mercifully cut bits of it short. Um, uh, and even though it has one of my... Uh, uh, I, I, I like the longer dialogue in the original. I don't think it would have worked so well here, especially with the, the slowed-down mice. You know, I, I felt like it was like they can only show those particular bits, otherwise the mice leapt out and escaped or something like that. It just... Um, I think the the less of that we saw, the better. And so, even though they put back, they put in the bit about uh, his brain being diced, which was in the original radio script, but uh, but um, excised, and I think otherwise didn't make it in there until the books. Um, I, I feel like that was just about the right length. And and as far as um, you know, Shooty and Bang Bang, as I think their names are referred <laughs> That's to. That's right. Um, you know, I. I, my only complaint is I, I think the pace could have been a little quicker for that and um, in a couple cases where they banter, even though it's it's the same voices as the radio series, but I, I'd almost chalk that down to direction and editing as much as anything else. But um, that that's my only quibble, and it's a minor one. Uh, so overall, yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I have to agree. I, I would definitely agree it's my favorite episode so far, apart from those opening bits of the, the first episode. It just... There's just so much in it. Um, I think when I was younger, I probably was not as into the Slarty Barkfast bits. But now, like, just huge amounts of both that portrayal and uh, the content of it, I find super appealing uh, and and uh, really expressive, I feel like, of the perspective that Douglas Adams puts onto this, uh, this whole thing. Uh, and I, I do really love the... Um, uh, the whole bit about uh, stop science so philosophers still have a job, a kind of intellectual Luddite sort of situation, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is, as I say, still so relevant. Um, so, yeah, I, I have to agree. Um, the, the policeman stuff is goofy. And I think, like I said during the thing, this is one of the first times I've really noticed this being kind of a series of sketches. So we have the, the book comic monologues, and then we have, um, you know, the whole deep thought flashback. Um, we have the shooting and bang bang bit, which is basically just a sketch about police, you know, uh, and they appear kind of for no real reason at all. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's the I mean, it's, it's the link to get us to uh, to Millaways. Yeah. Um, big spoiler there. But um, yeah, I just never noticed how like Pythonic this is. Like, I think I realized how strung together and episodic it is but like just that whole thing it, and and maybe uh this episode may be the best example of that because i feel like everything from getting onto the uh vogon ship to now was more plotty and maybe that's why it's not as much fun i mean there's a little well, bit of there's a couple little sketches on true. the vogon ship but uh there's a huge amount of kind of like science fiction plot in there sort of dragging it down I mean, in a, in a way, I mean, the series in general kind of feels like uh, that this uh, that it's kind of two, two, and two. Really, the first mm -hmm. is the escape from the Earth. The second is um, 
is you know, uh, Heart of Gold slash Magrathia, and then there's uh, and then there's the restaurant basically. Yeah, sort of the greatest hits of those first two books. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, but it's it's super fun. Like I think that just about everything works in it. Uh, I would say certainly feels like it does. Yeah, um, I agree. And like I said, I, I, I'm curious to see if that holds up. I mean, you know, uh, Millways was maybe my favorite segment of the radio series. So it was episode five of the radio series. And, um, I'm curious how well that holds up for pacing. And I mean, um, some of my favorite bits uh, on that are, you know, when they finally meet with Marvin, uh, that mm-hmm. that whole exchange, and really into the end of the into the end of the episode, that that latter half, I um, I used to giggle over tremendously, and so I'm curious to see how well that um, that fits because I can picture the early stuff with Max Quadruplene potentially dragging a little bit, so I'm mm-hmm. I'm curious to see how that works. Yeah, I agree. Plus, I mean, I, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, plus I'm waiting for a certain guest star that shows up uh, in the (laughs) next episode. Oh, my God. Um, I I think that, uh, you know, my favorite bit of the radio series is just those two episodes that I had recorded and listened to over and over. And that's only familiarity, which is episode seven and eight, the total perspective vortex bit. Yeah. Um, Uh, uh, Seven is probably my second favorite. Uh, The the, uh, um, uh Marvin and the receptionist at, yes. the, at the hitchhiker office, <laughs> and certainly Marvin and the big heavy-duty battle machine. Mm-hmm. Yep, for sure. Yeah. Lots of good Marvin bits there. Uh, and as I said during the episode, I, I love it when British actors do American accents, because uh, it seems like a lot of times it's either uh, they try to sound like cowboys, or they are uh, trying to sound like uh, they're from New York City or Chicago or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of like quasi gangster sort of thing, which I just find endlessly hilarious for some reason. And works for these characters. So like it I does. actually thought it, it worked pretty well, you know, as opposed to, um, you know, or, or if you're, say, you know, Hugh Laurie, you can pull it off so easily as as uh, Dr. House. But, um, you know, uh, by contra, on, on the... Hugh Laurie to John Cleese scale, or I, I should reverse that. The John Cleese is the zero, referring to, in particular, his attempt in Meaning of Life. Oh, God. Um, you know, I feel like, you know, if you, uh, where do we put Rick on that scale? You know, uh, I just received this memo. Oh, God, so um, good. That's exactly there, there, what I mean. Yeah, there, there's nothing funnier than, uh, and I'm sure this is true in reverse as yep. well, but there's nothing funnier when you have a... Um, when you have, especially if there's a um, uh, somebody who's doing a pretty good job of mimicking American accent, and then they just get they get a syllable or they get the words <laughs> wrong, you know, and and uh, the the news reporter saying, you know, and when the ravenous bug bladder beast was in this form, that he et Zephod Beeblebrox. Yes, uh, <laughs> that's right. Know, that, that that little bit cracks me up. Um, or you know, if they're going to use the words lift or torch or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get um, a lot of that with Perry Brown and Doctor Who as well, because oh yeah, yeah, you know, she was doing the accent, but they gave her uh, UK dialogue to be speaking, so. Uh, she like things like bean and <laughs> meant to be doing a thing yeah um but it is really really funny i mean I, there are of course a lot of uh british actors who do perfect american accents uh i always think of um kate winslet in oh, yeah. sunshine and oh, yeah. there's a whole bunch of them but i love i love these kind of comedy american accents 
that crop up I in mean, Python and a bunch of other stuff like that that are just so like broad and over the top. I mean, to be fair, in reverse, you ha um, the Brits had to suffer uh, Dick Van Dyke and <laughs> yes. uh, and and I'm sorry, but um, I, I dearly love Lin Manuel Miranda, but um, I, I don't think that he uh, his, his accent was kind of all over the place in the sequel as well. Sadly, um, in but, the uh, sequel, uh, Mary Poppins Returns. Oh, I forgot that existed. Yeah, I'll, I think I'll go back to forgetting that existed. Okay. Um, <laughs> Oh man, um, they really cast him as a British person. They did. Um, they did. He was a a, a leery, a a, a, a uh, street lamp lighter, basically. Was it and, just uh, a tribute to the Dick Van Dyke thing? No, um, no, no. He, I mean, he has a supporting role in that one, and kind of the okay. Dick Van Dyke ish role. Although they found an excuse to bring Dick Van Dyke back for scene, and he still dances. He's in his nineties on that. Oh my uh, god! I didn't even was, know he was still alive. Yeah, um, but uh, you know, and, and wow. Emily Blunt did a did a, a good job, and I think something a little bit more pricklier and closer to um, closer to the original books to some extent. Uh, but um, uh, the movie was was okay. I mean, none of the music. If I I think the big difference for me is if the music was memorable. If and you know, it was a decent pastiche and all that. But if like the music had been memorable enough that I was still singing it, then then that would have let. Uh, that could have excused a lot of other potential mm. flaws, but as it was, it was pleasant. Um, it, it wasn't bad; it was pleasant. But I, I wouldn't go um, beyond that. I sort of want uh, Mary Poppins, oh, where the Mary Poppins character is a Zaphod. I guess that's sort of like the grown-up version of the Cat in the Hat. I always felt like, I mean, uh, I, I do love somebody referring to Missy as a uh, <laughs> as a demented Mary Poppins. <laughs> <laughs> that's so perfect, really. Um, well, fascinating. Um, this was fun. Uh, we have two more episodes to go. I can't believe there's only two left, uh, to be honest. And I'll be completely uh, transparent as we say at work. I have no idea what we're doing next. If you are interested in influencing that in any way whatsoever, um, please take to Twitter, uh, get on and, and message or, or post to or whatever it is you do on Twitter um, slide into our DMs. I don't know. Uh, Starship Warlock is the uh, the Twitter name, and let us know what you think we should watch and and comment inanely about next. Um, and we'd we'd love to hear from you. Uh, and also, if you have any kind of quarrel with uh, things that I have termed British or uh, UK accents or UK whatever, um, please write in and and uh, criticize me for that. I will happily take it. Uh, we just want to hear from you and find out what you think of this crazy thing we're doing. So I guess that's about it for now. We'll do episode five next week. And until then, this has been Drew. This has been Jeff. And you've been listening to Starship Podcast Warlock. Warlock. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.